What's up, friends? How are you? I um, am recording this late on a Saturday night. This is actually pretty wild. I never have done this before at this time of the week. However, thank you for checking this out. My name is John. This is Ambushed, and this is one of the ways I try to make good use of my education as a pastor. So I went to pastor school, which means you got a really fancy master's degree called <laughs> called a master's of divinity, as if anything could ever make you a master of talking about divine things. Give me a break. Anyways, all that did was just set me on a good trajectory of all these interesting ideas and books and topics and people and things and ethics and philosophy, everything. So what I've been doing in these is try to give a fresh take or... Um, uncover the the deeper meanings to particular passages of the Bible, or I'm just sometimes fascinated by some brand new ideas that I think would be really fun to play with and synthesize, and if I think it's helpful or interesting, that's when I record. Anyways, thank you for checking this out. This is hopefully just for you. Uh, I don't have a title for this one right now, but maybe I will by the end. And uh, what I would love to do is talk about a particular parable that Jesus gives at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And what I would love to do is tell you an awkward situation I had with this parable. So I'm going to break it down with the story. And in the midst of the story, I'm going to read the parable and then uh, tell you about my own personal journey with this parable. And I think you'll see You'll have a similar journey as you listen to it. You might even have some of the similar questions that I had. So take a seat or maybe uh, listen as you're walking. This is all good. You can listen however you want in the car. But thank you for being here. We are going to be reading um, eventually from Matthew chapter 25. And uh, well, actually, now I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go right ahead into the story. Yeah? Okay. A few years ago, probably just about two or three years ago, I was on a retreat with a whole bunch of other high schoolers. And uh, with my work at the church I'm at, it's fun because about three, four, five times a year, I take people on retreats, which hands down, I think retreats are where it's at. You go to like someplace new, there's like zip lines and camping and bears and s'mores and things and it's just full of antics so I actually think most of my most fun happens on those types of retreats but this was a fall retreat so this is maybe early in November three or maybe three years ago and we were on this retreat there was about 20 of us high schoolers and a number of other adults, and we went down to this retreat center just off the shore in Maryland? We were right off the, the bayfront. It was beautiful. It was so nice. And we we're there with probably a couple hundred other people, probably not more than 500 others. And we go there every fall, and it's this beautiful retreat center. It's really quite amazing. And the the air is just starting to get crisp because, you know, it's November. It's starting to get cold. So bonfires are great. But on Fridays, 
Friday nights and then Saturday mornings, Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, we always have a big service with all 500 of us in this one amphitheater indoor type building. And down in front, there's a stage and the seating is kind of amphitheater, but it's not seats. It's just like horseshoe shaped shelves that you sit on that are these wide arcing steps. Very cool. It's a cool setup. And we get there and on this retreat, uh, I sit down and this is one of my first times with these high schoolers. So they don't know me. I don't quite know them. And the preacher gets up right down in front and blasts right into this parable. I was like, whoa, this is an interesting one to start with. And the the preacher started going through it. And I was following, I was following, and then it just got awkward. Just the way that this pastor was talking about it. And I, I don't mean to, to diminish it. I, I just forget what the rest of this guy said. Because sometimes I get stuck on a sentence or a phrase that doesn't jive, and then I I have to figure out why it doesn't jive, or I have to... Anyways, but I look around, and some of the other high schoolers and my other co-leaders, they also don't like how this parable is being talked about. And so everything wraps up, and then we're each given as leaders a page full of questions of things to debrief with. And so we go to our little debriefing room. Uh, the 20 of us, we go over to this other building. Um, we walk out. It's probably like 9, 9.30 at night. And we sit down in a circle. And I kind of look at the questions. And I, I just put the paper to the side. <laughs> and I said, all right anyone else feel awkward about how that parable was talked about? And it was like, immediately, everyone, it was like the pressure valves. Oh, thank you. They just got released. Thank you. Like, we were thinking the same thing. We didn't like that either. It just didn't sit well. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure why I don't like that either, his interpretation. But it just made me feel like things are really unjust. It, 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 the parable, it made me like the parable less. Like, yeah. So we dived into that, and I said something close to, listen, even when the Bible doesn't seem to make sense, it's good that it stirs us into discussion. So hopefully in the midst of this, even though we didn't maybe wrap our minds around the parable, maybe we're missing something because we're thousands of years late, you know, and we're from a different culture. We don't even speak Hebrew or Greek like the original people might have. So you know what? Let's chalk it up to that. So we all walked away and we were good. We went back to our individual cabins, guys to their cabin, ladies to theirs. And I'm laying there in my sleeping bag on the mattress in a bunk bed with about 10 or 12 other guys. And I can't fall asleep. I lay there and I toss from my left to my back, to my right side. I can't sleep because I feel like I just can't go to sleep until this parable gets resolved in my head. And I just couldn't do it. So you want to know what the parable is? <laughs> All right. I'm going to read it for you. It's uh, Matthew chapter 25. This is the parable of the talents. And you may have known this one, too, because maybe you've also heard it poorly talked about. 
And um, I may also poorly talk about it right now. But at least in my understanding, I'm getting a little closer towards understanding it. So let's go for it. Ready? Uh, This is verse 14. I'm going to start at. This is the parable of the talents. And you just listen for the part that irks you. All right? Here we go. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents. Now, pause. A talent individually was about 15 years worth of wages. So a talent isn't a small little thing. It's not like a talent is just your little party trick that you pull out that you know how to juggle your shoes or that you know how to balance a knife on the tip of your tongue, you know. It's not that. That's not a talent. A talent here is 15 years worth of wages. So 15 times 5, this first servant was given 75 years of wages to the one he gave five talents to another two so that'd be 30 years worth of wages to another one uh yeah to another one to each according to his ability he also gave one to the last I feel like I'm not flowing right now. Let me start over. (laughs) To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then the man went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded them and made five more talents. So this guy took his 75 years worth of wages and made it into 150 years worth of wages. We're talking huge amounts of money. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents, which meant he bulked it up to 60 years worth of wages. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. Yeah. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I guess that just means celebrate with me. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in, with, in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. <laughs> like, Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. Then, and this is where the rub happens, really. Then 
the one who had received one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So he gave back exactly the wages that he received. He didn't waste it. He didn't bring back a debt. He doesn't, didn't say, hey, I lost all of it. He brought it back as is. But his master replied, you wiki, wicked, <laughs> you wiki, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and, to, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. That's probably the harshest verse in this entire thing. It's hard to believe. But then 30 goes even a step further. As for this worthless servant, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a euphemism for hell that Jesus uses. Um, well, well, we can get into that some other time. Okay, so what happened was this preacher got up in front and started talking about how this person who did nothing with their talents um, deserved what is just. And then really didn't say anything more than that and then just quickly moved on. And the rest of us, even the high schoolers, were like, wait a second. He's not a wicked and lazy servant. He was kind of smart. He didn't lose any money. Losing the money would be even worse or spending it on frivolous things. So... I don't know if the preacher knew, but almost half of the audience or more were completely stuck on this because they actually felt like this servant, who was afraid, got, got the bad rap and then was even punished for it. It's like, whoa, where's the compassion for this dude, you know? I forget what happened with the rest of the talk, but then when we went and we talked about this parable... None of us really could settle into it. And I think that's why I stayed up probably until about 2 or 3 in the morning, just tossing until I could figure this out. And then it came to me. I remembered something that I had uh, been introduced to by Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was a Jewish rabbi, philosopher, ethicist, fantastic writer, just incredible. And I remember laying there in the dark and I said, I get it now. It's Jewish ethics. And then some of the other high school guys like, like, what? John, what did you say? I was like, never mind. Never mind. Just go to sleep. I figured out the parable. They're like, you figured out the parable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Go to sleep. Whatever, John. <laughs> this is their first retreat with me, I think. They all went to sleep. The next morning, we all went to breakfast and this five, 600 person dining room. And they asked, Hey, um, 
what was up with your 3 a.m. rant? I was like, oh, I got it. I figured it out. I know why that parable irked us so much. Like, what's that? Are you ready? Are you ready for the breakdown? feels like when there's a heavy metal song, eventually at two-thirds of the way through, there's a heavy breakdown where it gets real good. The groove is happening. Hopefully right now we're in the groove. So in, in American ethics, or at least Western ethics, let's say, okay, let's say there's three categories of evaluation. There's good things, neutral things, and then there's bad or evil, Okay. So a, a good thing would be any success that you have. Like let's say you try to start uh, an orphanage. Great. You raise the money. You built the building. An orphanage is now there. Great. Good. Or let's say you did nothing. Okay. Well, that I guess we would put that under the category of neutral. But what would be bad or evil would be blowing up an orphanage. Okay, so that's like three categories. So build an orphanage, don't build an orphanage, blow an orphanage up. That's good, neutral, bad. You could even say in American ethics, you tried to open an orphanage, you couldn't raise the money, or you got halfway through the building, and so it never fully completed. That would be maybe in American ethics, bad or even evil, because you used the funds and it didn't actualize. So if you were to draw three different, um, what is that? Columns would be like the only good is when you achieve the thing. Neutral is when you do nothing. Bad is when you destroy or you fail at making something. There we go. However, Jesus doesn't live by American ethics or standards, right? Okay, so what would be a good thing in Jesus's ethics, it seems? It would be, great, you built an orphanage. You raised the money, you made the funds, you made the building, you made it happen. Great job. That's a success. In Heschel's wording, in Hebrew, that'd be a mitzvah. You created something good that you fulfilled the commandment to love your neighbor. Well done. However, in Jewish ethics, a mitzvah would also be a good try. You raised the money. You got halfway through the building and then problems happened and it didn't actualize. But you know what? You put your best foot forward. You made it almost happen. Good job. Whoa. You see, in Jewish or Jesus's ethics, that's a pretty groundbreaking thing. You got, you almost did it, man. Well done. But in American ethics, no way. You, you didn't make the orphanage. You're terrible. So in Jewish ethics or Jesus's ethics, let's say, a good thing would be making the orphanage or almost getting it done. But then let's go to the evil or bad category or column in Jesus's ethics. Definitely an evil thing would be blowing up an orphanage. Of course, Jesus would be against that, obviously. However, let's say you did nothing. You didn't blow up an orphanage, but you didn't create one and you didn't even get 
halfway to creating an orphanage. In Jewish ethics, doing nothing is as good as blowing up an orphanage. Doing nothing is actually considered evil. Doing nothing is considered destructive. So there is no neutral category in Jewish ethics. That's like it's a a modern creation that there can be something that's morally neutral. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. The servants that made more money, they did good. But the servant that did nothing with the money, even trying, was actually just as good as wasting it all completely on terrible, terrible things that you could waste money on, you know? So all of a sudden, this parable made so much more sense. But, you know, it really made me wish that there was a fourth servant. What would the master have said to the servant that took the money and just spent it frivolously on wine and cheese? 15 years worth, spent it all in a month on wine and cheese. What would the master have said to that? But we don't have a fourth servant. All we have are the servants that did something, and then this dude who did nothing, who is considered worthy of the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here we go. What can we take from this? What should we take from this? What's going on? Well, it seems as though in Jesus's worldview, in the mindset of the divine, of God, of spirit within each of us, like telling us what we should be doing, uh, it sounds as though Jesus wants us to take our talents, 15 years worth of wages or whatever skill sets you got, and make something happen. And even if you don't make something happen, at least you tried. But to do nothing is just as bad as blowing up an orphanage because it's it's like it's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of opportunities, I guess, is really what it's about. So this parable, when I was sitting there at breakfast, we're all having like pancakes and eggs and like those little sausage sticks that are surprisingly better than you think they are, especially when they're wrapped up in a pancake. Um all of a sudden, it made sense, and we all kind of like nodded along, but like, wow, Jesus made a lot of sense, maybe more than that preacher last night. I'm sorry. I'm throwing a lot of shade at that guy. I really shouldn't. Uh, maybe he just hadn't had a chance to check out Abraham Joshua Heschel yet, um, but I'm sure I've also given really bad sermons, too. Maybe you consider this that, too. Maybe this is a bad sermon for me, but all of it comes down to recognizing Each of us have, yeah, finances or talents or abilities that we just can't let go to waste. And this kind of strikes me. Uh, I probably have had a fair number of good tries, a few successes, but there's a number of things I'm also sitting on that I probably should be taking my talents and using a bit more. So that's something that speaks to me and maybe it speaks to you because for Jesus, It certainly seems as though we've got to reckon with the idea, reckon with the fact that we only have a limited time, 
before the master reappears to hold people accountable. And the clock is ticking. What do we got to do? What do you got to do? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? What's on your soul that needs to happen in order for the world to be a better place? Because sitting there doing nothing isn't helping any orphanages getting made. Sitting there doing nothing isn't helping any of your talents grow or to be used to actualize the shalom, the good life, the heaven on earth that we're supposed to be helping to create. So go, go forth. Let's, uh, let's do this and let's see what we can create, you know? There's a a beautiful understanding of Genesis 1 that says God created the environments and then he told the earth, the land, and the sky, and the sea to bring forth what they can. So the sky brought forth the birds and he's like, ooh, that's good. Or the land brought forth its animals and, and God said, ooh, that's good. And the ocean brought forth its fish and its creatures and God said, ooh, that's good. It's almost as though... God has set up the environment of our lives, not to tell us what to do, but to see how we use our talents and our abilities. And then maybe God will step back and see the achievements or the good tries that we had and be like, ooh, yeah, that was good. That was good. (laughs) There we go, right? So may you, the listener... Not sit on your talents and your abilities, your finances, and just hoard them up. May you actually use the environment in which you find yourself to burst forth and give birth to something good. May God look on every single one of your efforts, whether they are successes or just good tries. May God say to you, ooh, yeah, that was good. All right. Thank you for listening. All of you are delightful. May grace and peace be with you.